Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here on this beautiful Sunday. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'd like to welcome those in our South campus. Just a little side note. Last Sunday, Grovetown and South campus both had record attendance. And so, wow, congratulations. At both campuses, the largest non-holiday um, crowds. And so, we're so proud of what God is doing in this community, doing through people just like you. So this week, when you see somebody, just say to them, say, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? And you'll be surprised at uh, how God will use you to make a difference. You know, I like to start with something funny. Did you hear about the reporter that was assigned to go cover the fires in Yellowstone? When he arrived at Yellowstone, uh, the fires were so thick, the smoke was so thick that he couldn't get any good pictures. So he went online and he rented an airplane so that he could get some aerial shots. He showed up at the county airport. He saw an airplane there warming up at the gate. He ran and jumped in the airplane, told the pilot, said, hey, uh, let's go. And so they took off. And in just a few minutes, they were swung into the wind and they were above the clouds. And he looked and told the pilot, said, I want you to sweep down a little close so that I can get some uh, pictures. He said, why do you need pictures? He said, I'm a photographer. I'm, I'm a reporter. I need pictures of this. And he said, silence. You mean you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> Sometimes we need an experienced pilot to help land the plane. Yeah, and that's true for life too. Today we're con- concluding our series called The Elephant in the Room. We use the phrase, the elephant in the room, when... Um, we're thinking about something, but nobody's actually talking about it. Uh, it's about to address taboo subjects, and nothing's more taboo in our culture than talking about mental illness. So the last four weeks, we have been really opening up an honest conversation about a very challenging, a difficult um, situation, circumstance that so many of us and people in our world deal with on a regular basis. And so we believe that there's help, help for you. And today I want to focus on not only help for those that struggle with anxiety and depression and uh, mental illnesses, but I want to talk about those people who care for those people who struggle. When I started this series, I was just, one of my daily reading um, times focus on the book of Psalms. And I read this passage of scripture in Psalm 18. It says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord and I prayed to my God for help. And he heard me from the sanctuary. I started looking at that word distress and I looked it up and the dictionary said that distress means extreme anxiety. So when I am extreme in extreme anxiety, I'm very anxious I cry out to the Lord. And we have this confidence that God will hear us and will answer our prayers. 
And so I'm praying today, not only for those of you that are struggling with anxiety and those of you that are struggling with depression, but I am praying for those of you that are caring for someone who is in the struggle. Here's the big idea. When it comes to mental illness, the pain of mental illness not only affects those with the disease, but also those who care for those with the disease. A little over 10 years ago, Patty and I were thrust into a mental health battle with my mother. We started noticing that she was changing, but we didn't think too much about it. We thought, well, it's the effects of the illness of uh, aging. We thought, well, maybe it's just some quirks in her personality. But our, uh, our eyes were open the day she forgot to bring the cake. You see, my mom was an incredible cook, and especially when it it came to desserts. I mean, she could outcook almost anyone in that category. And that day, it was her responsibility to bring a cake to the family dinner. And she showed up at our house without the cake. We thought, now that is really strange. Something is off here. Then over the next several months, we started noticing that she couldn't follow through with simple instructions. We soon found out that she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Now, how many of you have ever uh, had a friend or family member that dealt with dementia or Alzheimer's? Let me see your hands. Yeah, all across. How about at Grovetown, South Campus? All across uh, our church. And so as I talk about this, you will understand because you have lived through this and you, you know the, the pressure it is to help, to try to help somebody who is struggling with this disease. You know, Alzheimer's is very painful. It's like they say, what, a thousand goodbyes, that you're constantly living that. Well, from that point on, Patty and I moved into the helping phase. And what we discovered is that it didn't matter how many things that we did to try to help in the situation, help her have a better life, eventually... We realized it didn't matter how many meals we cooked. It didn't matter how many gifts we brought. That we couldn't stop the expansion of that disease. We couldn't slow it down. You know, when somebody breaks a bone, let's say you break a leg... There's a timetable on that healing. You put a cast on it, and, and probably in about six or eight weeks, you're walking again. But when somebody has an, a, a mental illness, there's no timetable. You just can't walk it out and be done in six to eight weeks and back to, to health again. It's like nothing is certain and nothing is consistent. We eventually moved them to North Augusta so that we could keep a... Um, a closer look on them. And at times we really felt helpless. And so we made this decision that we are going to laugh at everything that we could possibly laugh at. Because when we were not laughing, we were crying. And so we just looked to fi- try to find humor in the day-to-day things and, and just to find some joy. Like the day that I, I stopped by, it was a Tuesday afternoon, I stopped by their house after work about 5 o'clock, I walked in. My mom met me at the door, and she was excited. She said, oh, come on in, we're having a dinner party tonight. And I'm thinking, really? 
a dinner party. So, okay. I said, yeah, good. And my dad was over there kind of smiling at me. And, and I sat down at the table and sure enough, she had plates uh, at every chair at the table. It was odd, paper plates. And she had sandwiches made. Now the sandwiches, there was a chocolate cake sandwich. There was a chocolate pie sandwich um, and with chips and everything. I just never had a chocolate cake sandwich. But I guess um, there's a first time for everything. And it was little things like that that just didn't click. And so we've just laughed about that. And we've laughed at so many other things because we see her wanting to be normal, but she didn't have the ability to be normal. And we felt helpless. Have you ever felt helpless in the struggle? I mean, you want to be there for somebody. You want to say the right words to help them, to encourage them. You want to do something to give them strength along the way. But it seems like everything you try to do, everything you try to say, it just doesn't quite work. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke that's in the New Testament about a man who had a son with mental illness. Now, this boy was the pride and joy of his dad. And one day, his dad, noticing that his son was acting a little bit strange, he assumed it was nothing, but little by little, symptoms began to emerge. Insomnia, erratic speech patterns, seizures, and eventually taking care of this boy became all-consuming. I am sure that his dad missed work along the way. I am sure that he lost relationships along the way. I am sure that during this time, his dad had to put his marriage, his own marriage, on the back burner so that he could focus on his son. But no matter what the father did, the son's condition continued to get darker and darker until the point that he, he came violent. He would scream out awful obscenities. He even attempted self-harm. The Bible says that at times he threw himself into the fire. He threw himself into the water. And the boy's dad was scared because he didn't know what was going to happen to his son. So he, certain, he went out to find help. He was determined to find help. He took the boy to doctor after doctor after doctor. But all the results were inconclusive. The expenses mounted. The treatments just didn't improve, improve his condition. Nothing that he tried seemed to work. So one day, he heard about this teacher. He heard about the teacher and his disciples. And, and rumor in the community is that wherever the teachers showed up, that miracles would take place. So he loaded up his son, and he said, we're going to find that teacher he went to a mountain in the southern part of Galilee, and there was a crowd there, and the dad pushed his way through the crowd, and he got an audience with some of the disciples, and he explained the situation to the disciples, and he asked them to help. The disciples agreed, and they were very confident, and they agreed to pray. And they gathered around that boy, and they prayed this bold prayer, and a hush came over the crowd, but it didn't work. It didn't work, and suddenly the boy's eyes rolled back into his head, and he started screaming out this blood-curdling scream. The, the disciples 
were confused. The crowd was terrified. And that dad, his heart was broken. I don't know where he stayed that night, but I would imagine he probably didn't sleep that much. And things seemed really hopeless. And that dad felt like giving up, but he didn't. So with that background, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 9. It says, The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Okay, we look at the word they. They in this verse refers to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were three of the 12 disciples. They were the closest ones to Jesus. And Jesus took these three men up on top of the mountain for a season of prayer. When they were up on the mountain, the presence of God rested on the mountain and Jesus was transfigured in front of them. He changed. He was bathed in a a bright light. In fact, when Luke was writing this story, he used a Greek word that meant uh, dazzling light. They translated it, but it actually meant like bolts of lightning. So these three disciples, they were in the presence of God where really this bolts of lightning came down. Jesus was transfigured. Moses showed up and Elijah showed up representing the law and the prophet. And it was an amazing life-changing experience for these guys. And so they had just experienced that. Now that is over. They were headed down to Galilee. They're headed down the mountain. As they got to the bottom of the mountain, this large crowd was there to greet them. It was in this crowd that that dad was. And that dad cried out. He said, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. He's the only one I got. He's my only son. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and it's destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. You see, he'd already gone to the other nine disciples. He said, I begged them to help me. I asked them, I pleaded with them, but but they couldn't help me. This man was desperate because his only son was suffering, screaming out, convulsion, foaming at the mouth, all of that. I begged for help, but they couldn't do it. Jesus, looking at the crowd, he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? I want you to bring me that son. Verse 42 says, even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the spirit, the impure spirit. He healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Now, can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the joy and the awe that swept over that crowd? I'm reminded of this statement that Jesus has the power to change your life. Jesus has the power to change your life. 
There's no condition that he cannot change. There's no darkness that he cannot light. There's no chain that he cannot break. God can do the impossible. But don't miss this fact. That boy found healing through Christ's power, but he found Christ through his father's persistent. That boy found healing through Christ's power, but he found Christ through his father's persistence. This boy got a miracle because someone fought through the second-hand struggle. That young man needed an advocate. That young man needed somebody to stand in the gap for him, somebody to speak for him. Everyone struggling with anxiety and depression and schizophrenia and dementia and a whole host of other types of diseases, every one of them needs an advocate. And as I speak to you today, I realize there are scores and scores of caregivers listening to me talk today. And let me just remind you that as a caregiver, you are a very important part of the healing process. And so many times your work goes unseen. And times you feel that you're unappreciated. But God sees the care that you're giving. And Jesus teaches us that when you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. Your support matters. Your compassion is communicating the compassion of Jesus Christ. Your love for those people that you're taking care of, you are the expression of God's love. You have the hands of Jesus. You are the voice of the Lord in their lives. Over the next few minutes, I want to share five things that I believe that you can do to help someone who is struggling with their mental health. So how do you do that? How do you help somebody that's in the struggle? Here's the first thing. I want you to be present. I want you to be present. You can help somebody when you show up with a loving heart. Just be present. Sometimes being present is stressful. Because you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do in this situation. And maybe you don't do anything. Maybe your responsibility in that moment is just to be there. It's called the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence is just being there. You see, when people have a major failure or suffer a major loss... They don't need a sermon. They just need you to be there. They don't need your words. They just need you to be present. The deeper the pain, the fewer words you should use. Because some pain is so beyond words. And you may sit there and not say anything. As my mother's condition worsened, we didn't have meaningful conversations. We just sat there. We just sat there. Here's what that looks like. 
We just sat there. I would talk and I would tell her about my life and our children and our grandchildren, but we just sat there. The ministry of presence. When you show up, you're communicating compassion. You're communicating commitment. By simply showing up, you're saying to that friend, to that loved one, you matter. You matter to me, and I love you, and I have not forgotten you. And even if you just sit there in silence, it makes a difference. Jesus said it this way, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst with you. I said there's five things. Here's number two. Don't pretend you understand what you don't understand. Don't pretend that you understand what you don't understand. Mental health cases are challenging. If you work in the mental health field, then you've heard of the book called DSM-5. DSM-5 is the Bible for mental health workers. It has 947 pages. It has 123,500 words. I have not read that book. However, I read the Cliff Notes version of the book this week. And even the Cliff Notes version of the book, it, is, um, it reminded me that mental health is deeply complex. And even after decades of discovery, we have not scratched the surface of how neurology and biology and psychology and spirituality combine and come together. In our story today, the young man was vexed by a demon. There are demon forces at work in this world today. And at times, you will see a demonic attack manifest itself within mental illnesses. But too many people wrongly put all mental illnesses into the category of being demonized. It's not the case. I've been told that if you read the book, the Gospels and the book of Acts, there are 31 cases of um, where Jesus or his disciples healed people. Of those 31 cases, there are only five of those cases that involved uh, a vexation or, or a demonic influence type of sickness. So think about that. So of all the sicknesses that Jesus encountered, only 16% of them were influenced by demons. Now, the only practical side, you've got to understand that Satan does more damage coming into your world as an angel of light than he does in demonic oppression or possession. That's what you really have to be guard, on guard on because he will come with 95% truth, but it's that other 5% that, that you need to be wary of. Now, we know this, that in the bigger picture, all sickness and all disease come from Satan. God does not make anybody sick. God does not put sickness and disease on people. You say, well, how do I get it? I thought God was in control. You've got to understand the book of Genesis. We lived in a perfect world prior to the Garden of Eden, uh, prior to the fall of man. When Adam and Eve 
took, uh, rejected God's word and sinned against God, it, entered, it allowed evil to enter in the world. And along with that evil and along with that fall comes germs. It comes sickness and disease and viruses and pain and cancers and all of the suffering that we see in the world. So we live in a cursed world. That's why the Bible tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John 10 and 10 says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus came so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. One day he is going to bring health and heal, healing and wholeness to this world, but it will be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. It's going to be a new, he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. You hear a lot about climate change. Here's my take on that. I believe in climate change. The scientists are partially right. It's happening. But here's what I also understand about climate change, and I am running down this rabbit trail. Just for, give me two minutes just to, to rant a little bit. Just two minutes. I know I need to move on, but I just want to... You know, the Bible says that... The earth is groaning, longing for the day of redemption. And we can do whatever we can to be good stewards and to treat the earth in a way uh, uh, that God would want us to treat it. But if anybody thinks that we can slow down what God has already put in motion, that this world is passing away, that this world is going to burn up, that this world is not our final home. That's what we've got to understand. And we need to be good stewards, but never fall into the false belief that, that mankind can reverse what God has already put in order. It's prideful, it's arrogant, and it's wrong. Now, the science... I am not saying that the science just uh, are wrong. The climate is changing. I'm just saying they're not going to stop what God has already put into order. Whew, I feel better already. <laughs> I, I, I hear that, and it just starts to boil. I think, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on that. No, I probably just need to do two minutes. That's all, just two minutes. So that means you've got to give me two minutes at the end of the message to finish, Okay. Okay, Grovetown, have mercy on me, okay? <laughs> Here's the third point. I will say this. Last week, Pastor Todd was at Grovetown, and he said, Marty, when you did point four, you did it right in your face. He said, I know that you want to do that for emphasis and really to wake people up. But boy, when you're on a big screen, those four fingers look huge. <laughs> and so for you, Grovetown, here is number three. He said, move it apart. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, sometimes you need people to speak truth to you. That's the problem. People don't speak truth all the way. And Todd, Pastor Todd, will always speak the truth. Sometimes it hurts. Okay, speaking of that, maybe you'll hear this point. You need to create a judgment-free space so that they can process their pain. Having a mental illness isn't easy. And it's harder when people assume that, just get over it. Just get over it. Be a man about this. 
and, and we say words like that, and um, we just don't get it. We've got to back up, and we've got to give them space to process their pain. And sometimes people who are in pain, people who are in the struggle, sometimes they're mean. Sometimes they're disrespectful. Sometimes they use language that they would normally never use. And it is difficult. And it is painful. And they often pour out their pain on people who are closest to them. And to those of you who are caregivers, I want to say to you, guard your heart. Guard yourself. Don't ever put yourself in danger to take care of somebody else. You need to get help because you can't do this alone. And I know you love that person, and I know you want to care for that person, but some of you are operating outside of your ability to provide good care for that individual. You could handle it in the early days, but the situation has increased to the point where it is above your ability to handle the situation, and you need to understand that, and you need help from other people and possibly a team of other people because you're in over your head and you're drowning. So just get help. Talk to someone about this. Talk, find somebody who has been through what you have already gone through. Talk to your doctor. Talk to a medical team. Keep good notes. It may take some time and it may take some, a lot of medical personnel to walk through and to figure this thing out. Here's the fourth one. I want you to remember the person behind the behavior and do what you can to protect that person. There have been times that I've dealt with situations and um, I have to back up. And in my mind, I say this, this is a real person. This is a real person that is hurting. This is a real person that's in crisis. And I have to remind myself, I have to talk myself as trying, a person trying to give care to this person. This is a real person with real needs. Caregivers ride an emotional roller coaster. You never know what's going to happen. But I just want to remind you, you're, you're on the team that's helping to lead them to a better place. And along the way, you're going to have to make some difficult choices. One of the first things that we did when my mother started having clouded thinking, started losing our ability to reason, we removed guns from her house. She had a concealed carry permit. And so they had five guns. And, and the day we went over there to uh, take their guns, my dad said, wait, what are you doing? Because my dad was of sound mind. But he didn't like the fact that we are confiscating his guns. I said, dad? I said, what happens one day if she walks in here and she doesn't recognize you? She may think that you're the intruder. And so we made the hard call. We took the guns away. You know, the interesting thing, several months later, sure enough, this happened. My dad's sitting at the kitchen table putting together a puzzle. The door opens to a North Augusta policeman walk into his house with their hands on their guns. 
and said, who are you and what are you doing here? And he said, this is my house. I, I live here. And then my mom walks in and says, there he is. There's the intruder. And so you have to take responsibility. The very thing that we said could happen actually happened. Let me go a little bit deeper. There will be times when you'll have to separate the behavior from the actual person. And you'll say, is this my loved one or my friend or my spouse talking to me or is this the disease talking to me? Is this my loved one or is this the alcohol talking to me? Because you see, it's different voices. The person that you love and care for has one voice, but the disease has a different voice. And you don't need to confuse the two voices because sometimes it is the disease. Sometimes it is the alcohol talking to you. They are vulnerable, and in those moments, we need to guard ourselves. We don't we never be a punching bag, never put yourself in danger. Guard your heart, but you also need to protect them and protect their dignity. In the book of Genesis, we see the story of Noah and the ark. Did you know that Noah lived on the ark for 190 days? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. After it stopped raining, the Bible says they were on the boat for 150 days. You add that, 190 days. Can you imagine being on the boat with all the animals and your family for 190 days? I mean, when Noah got off the boat, the first thing that he did, he planted a vineyard. And when the fruit came in, he made wine and he got drunk. This is the Bible, okay? I'm just telling you what happened. The Bible. Now, it was a mistake. And before you write him off, here's what I know. Some of you can't even handle your family at a holiday dinner for an afternoon. And you said, I'm going home and get drunk so I can forget this. He was there for 190 days, not able to leave. So he is drunk. He is laying on the ground in his tent, totally naked. And his youngest son, Ham, came in and saw his father laying there drunk and naked. And he went out telling everybody about, about it. He went to his two brothers and said, You wouldn't believe what dad has done. He's made a fool of himself over there. He is drunk laying naked on the ground. And instead of covering his father's faults, he exposed them. The other two brothers did just the opposite. They went into Noah's tent, and when they saw their father naked and drunk, they turned around with their backs, and they had a blanket, and they walked toward their father without looking at him and they put the blanket over him to cover his shame and to cover his nakedness. They were saying in their actions, Dad was wrong. He made poor choices. Here he is lying drunk and naked, but we are not going to expose him. We're going to cover up his fault. They were saying, he's our dad. 
He's our flesh and blood. And he's lying here in shame. But we are going to protect him when he's down. We're going to cover him when he's not up to par. We're going to defend him. We're not going to let anybody see him in this condition. We're not going to let anybody see him with this negative light. There will be times in your life where you will have an opportunity to protect someone's dignity. And when you do this, you will have, be making a positive impact on the people around you because they see what you could do and you chose the better way. Here's the fifth one. I want you to keep showing up. When you're close enough to the struggle, you're close enough to make a difference. There are times that you want to push away because people who are addicts, what happens is this. They push you away. They push you away. And the greatest temptation that we may have is to say fine and to walk away. But if we're going to see them come to a place of healing and wholeness, we've got to enter into the pain. We've got to keep showing up. Because when you're close enough to the struggle, you're close enough to make a difference. And as you enter into their mess, because you see mental illness is so messy. They're hurting, and you're hurting. They're in pain, and you're in pain. And you work so hard, and you only see just a little bit of progress. I just say, don't give up. Because I believe I believe you're doing the work of Jesus. I believe that in that moment, as you show up, you are truly the hands of Jesus to a hurting world. That in your hands is the healing power of the Lord. When we look across our world, there's so many people that are hurting. Stats say there are 450 million people across the world that struggle with some sort of mental illness. And, and we have done this series just to to have a conversation, an honest conversation. We don't have all the answers, but we want to be a church that extends grace to people who are in the struggle. We want to extend grace. We want to be a church that has this opportunity to speak peace into the chaos and to love people when honestly they're so unlovable. Knowing that when we do this, that we're doing it unto the Lord. That dad in Luke chapter 9 that had that mentally ill son, he was persistent. That son found Jesus, but he found Jesus because his dad was persistent. And I want to say to you, don't give up. Your family matters. Your friends matter. 
And they may not be able to verbalize it. They may not be able to adequately describe what's going on in their mind or in their lives. And if you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do, maybe just carve out a few minutes and just show up with the ministry of presence. Just show up. And and as you show up, you're showing them the goodness of God in their lives. It's hard. But I believe the Lord is going to give us grace. And the Lord is going to be with us. And this is only a season. It seems like it's forever, but it's only a season. And so we trust him to give us strength for the day. I want to pray over you. Let's all stand. Grovetown, South Campus, let's stand together. Father, I just pray for Stevens Creek Church today. I pray for these wonderful people. These are some of the most kind, the kindest and most generous people in this whole region. And Father, this church, these folks are quick to help out, to encourage, to give. But so many of these caregivers, they're in a place right now where they need help. They need encouragement. They need your strength. So I am praying, God, that you would release your presence upon us today. And those people that feel like they're on the edge. That they've given all they can give. I ask God that you would renew them. That you would strengthen them. That you would give them the words to say. And give them the strength to do what you call them to do. I pray for those that are in the struggle personally right now. Those that are you that are struggling with depression. I pray right now that the clouds of darkness will dissipate. I pray that you will see light coming from heaven. I pray for those that are struggling with anxiety. I speak peace over you. In the name of Jesus, we look to a power that is greater than ourselves and we ask that power to come and rest on us today. And so Lord, today, we as your people, we receive your strength. We receive your peace. In Jesus' name, say this. Say, God, I receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.